Oh, mama. Tonight's the night we'll make history because we have with us the incredible Lawrence Gowan of Sticks. If you thought there'd be any radio silence here, well, you're just fooling yourself. So don't be a renegade or a man in the wilderness. Come sail away with us because you're not going to want to miss this show. Let's do this. Blabberbrains. Hey, welcome to Blabberbrains Show. We're back. Took a month off. Little hiatus, little summer break, if you will. We've been trying to keep these things rolling once a month. Uh, we are so glad to be back and in front of your naked steaming ears. I am Michael <laughs> Cadry and the Joker over there in the Anna Marie Island hat. I love that hat. The big M, Mark Anthony. <laughs> Up close Hello, and America. personal. <laughs> yes, we are broadcasting all over America In and Earth. all over the world. Uh, planet Earth. We are broadcasting all over planet Earth. We have uh, listeners over in Europe and uh, even in Indonesia and Japan. We have had some hits on on stuff. So welcome, everybody across the, the Fruited Plain and those in the uh, terrestrial Earth uh, sphere, I shall say. So what uh, what you been up to? Uh, how's your summer going? Um, I mean, it's okay. It hasn't been as thrilling as I thought it would be. I've had a been dealing with the last couple of weeks. It's finally slowed down a severe infestation in my backyard near on my patio with uh, these lantern flies. Oh, those damn lantern flies are everywhere around Pittsburgh here. Well, they yeah. were babies and stuff. I'm, I haven't been able to use my patio pretty much most of the summer. I mean, it's there are it looks like there's piles of dirt. Yeah, and it's it's thousands of babies and I've been using stuff that's safe that eventually kills them. And it finally slowed down to where now there's only a few back there, but I, I probably needed to get my shop back out. I mean, it just, there was a, <laughs> I'd have a thousand dead every day for a couple of weeks. It was, I'd never seen anything like it. I don't know where they came from because they're just there. And of course my neighbors would have some of them, but they all hung out. I'm talking mounds of them. Yeah like this and it's just it's been it's been a mess back we started back getting some at my house but uh not like your level and for whatever reason the the they all grow at the same time right Where, wherever they're at like they don't like it's not like flies where a fly just appears and it grows and whatever like they're they all have like the same gestation period um and so they all like are babies and and, and adults at the same time and um so but we just had like the I mean, they were probably about that big when 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 Noda started noticing a ton of them in my backyard. Not like you're saying, but um, never really got. I saw maybe one adult in my backyard the whole entire time. I don't know where they went to. I didn't like kill them off or anything like that. They just migrated somewhere else, which was really weird. Yeah, every day it was like looking at a crime scene. I'd go in my backyard. <laughs> there'd be and right on my patio and climb. There'd be there would be at least, and I'm not exaggerating. There could be a thousand, a thousand of them dead on top of the table, on top of everything, piles of them. And then you sweep, and then you're spraying again. Even though the stuff's supposed to last for three months, you know, that I always use here for my house for pest control. But I'm doing it every day. And then they're, when you do that, they're flying back and hit, coming at you. You hit them with it, wow. and then you're going like this. And thank, thankfully, they never made it into my house. I mean, in my screened-in porch, you could see I had to keep vacuuming around the parameters. But they're dead by, you know, they'd eventually die once they got got in. But, 
now I'm just seeing a handful here and there of the, you know, the full grown ones, but these were little babies and I don't, you know, I don't know. I just, I spent so much time trying to figure out where all these are coming from because they're not on my trees in my backyard or not in my garden or not on my garage. It's just right there. And no matter what, they were just, it was like the th a, a thousand every day. I mean, it was, I've never seen anything, seen anything like it. Terrible. Well, good thing there. I think this the season of them is almost uh, up here. Probably in about another month or so, you won't probably won't see them, anyways. But uh, anyways, another one I wanted to talk about was just something that struck me. Um, I've been seeing a ton of this, like in front of your face, like when you scroll through the reels on Instagram and stuff. And it's probably just because of you know my age or my my generation, because I don't seek things out. I don't follow a lot of people like this, but I get a lot of things in front of me. That that's that there are just these um I hate to use the word social media influencers, but I guess that's what you kind of call these people that a lot of people follow them, is these people that like are all they talk about is like Gen X, right? I'm you know, I'm Gen X, I represent Gen X, and that's all I'm, like their reels like talk about being a Gen Xer. And um it just makes me think like, you know, yeah, we had um you know, the, the, the greatest generation and, uh, you know, which of those that fought in the war and stuff and then the baby boomers, uh, which, you know, it just was natural for everyone. Say, so oh, everybody came home. Everybody wanted to, you know, <laughs> have sex and stuff. So they had this baby boom thing going on. But, um, you know, the, the, when someone says to you, you know, it's the old adage, you know, I wish I was 18 again or something like that. If, if I were to ever make that statement, it wouldn't be, I wish I was 18 now. Heck no. <laughs> but being 18 back when we were, you know, in the 80s and stuff like that. But, you know, it makes me think that like those times at the time you're going through it, you're just kind of taking them for granted. Right. Um, I The the music that was there, the the television, the movies, um, we had no Internet. We could get away with things. People weren't as offended. Um, there, there's just probably a litany of about a thousand different things you can list as to why being a Gen Xer is probably the greatest generation, um, in, in our known lifetime of the people that we know. What, I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, there's a couple things. First thing off, I think a lot of the problems in this country were caused by the baby or the result of the baby boomers, right. you know, well, even true, the, the older crooked politicians and business people and all that seems to be the case. But it seems like, though, everybody thinks they have the best generation. I'm sure that today's kids someday are going to be moaning and groaning, kind of like how we are. It's just it's always that sort of big generation gap. Even mm -hmm. when it comes, whether it's politics, music, or whatever, and a lot of times, just like when we were 18 years old, we didn't want to live in the same society that our grandparents lived in. So I'm assuming some, you know, today's kids, they don't want to live in the same world that their grandparents had, and it's just going to keep going that way. Is it mean that it's better? I don't think so either, you know, but I would, you know, I mean, it would, Jeff, definitely... It was kind of cool to be around where technology was just starting to really be become something. I don't think I would take I would like to be probably back in the you know, say mid 90s, you know, right around that time where, you know, computers are starting to be used more, you know, you could get on the internet but it was new 
Um, well, but that's music just it. I mean, was I, kind of cool. I think that you know, but, uh, that's what that's where we have an advantage, right? We we grew up without all of this technology, but yet we were still young enough when all the technology came out that we were easily able to adapt to all this technology. The I can't say the same for Gen Zers. You know, if, if they were to live with the technology that we grew up with, I'm not sure how well they would fare. And now, granted, it, we're talking about going from now to there instead of you know we it was just natural for us because it that's you know all we had, right? Like, you know, I, I remember as a kid, my, sometimes I had to change the channel on my TV with a pair of pliers, right? Because <laughs> the knob broke off, whatever. It's that was yeah. technology. That was, that was, that was technology for us. But, um, you know, I, but I have had a lot of my, you know, my kids' friends uh, talk about how they're, you know, they're envious that I'm, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer that of the time that I lived, they loved the music better. They wish that I, you know, much like how some people lamented, like whenever you saw happy days of, oh, it must've been cool back in the fifties and stuff like that. You know, those were pretty cool times and stuff. I think this is the same thing. I don't know that the, that the, you know, Gen Zers are never wanting to live in the, their grandparents' era, the Gen Xer era. I think I'm seeing just the opposite. I mean, they, these are the kids now who are flocking to the 80s shows, you know, to see Poison or Sticks or Def Leppard or, or you know, whatever, uh, Guns N' Roses. Um, I think they love that era. And uh, they're every, they're so, they're they're into retro and stuff like that. And I think part of that is a result of their their generation just really isn't, producing anything great right now i mean I, I i'm not slamming the whole generation i don't want to blanket the whole generation i'm not saying nobody's smart nobody's doing anything great there's plenty of stuff that that that's still coming they're still young right um and i'm even millennials the millennials there are some millennials who are doing great things but the majority of millennials hey look you 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 brought the stigma on yourself <laughs> you, yeah. uh, you have a stigma about you because of who you are and what you've done um Unfortunately, there's a lot of great millennials who are, you know, they get looked at weird because of the rest of your generation. Um, you know, boomers, you know, yeah, I, I understand the, the, you know, people just get frustrated with them. Oh, you know, I got to deal with a boomer. I got to, you know, they don't know technology or they don't know that. Whatever. But uh, I don't know. I, I think Gen X is, uh, and like I said, I, I could list a thousand reasons why I think this, but I think the the greatest generation that's ever lived. Just my personal yeah, I mean, opinion. Most of my comment was more aligned towards like social issues and things like that. Not really as far as the music and that. But it's funny though, things that we still in our mind kind of consider as kind of current is classic rock to somebody who's 21 years old. You know, and right. you, you hear something from, you know, uh, you know, there's going to be a day where, you know, oh, I love, yeah, I'm a real big fan of classic rock. Oh, okay. What are your favorite bands? Well, Soundgarden and right. Stone <laughs> Temple Pilots and Alice in Chains. And, you know, well, where I think it's classic rock now. <laughs> it is, but I don't view it that way. I right. view, to me, in my mind, classic rock is the Doors, know, Rolling, Rolling Stones, Stones The right. Doors, Zeppelin, right. Sabbath, and and all those bands. And I don't know if those are going to be considered oldies in a little yeah, while. Yeah, or, they're, they're oldies now, right? Yeah, there's going to be an oldies band, or if it's just the classic rock, you know, decades are just going to keep getting uh, bigger and bigger. But I think you saw technology and things sort of going really slow and probably in the middle of our generation, 
you know, when internets and computers started, you know, being developed and being more user and home, afford, you know, friendly and, and have affordability, all of a sudden that technology we saw went sort of like this to yep, like this. I mean, just even in medical breakthroughs and things like that, it was only probably in the beginning of our lifetime that we're seeing people now that, you know, would have died of cancer, you know, back in the 70s or early 80s, you know, all of a sudden the treatments for things like that because of technology and digital imaging to be able to see something on an x-ray is just in, is just increased dramatically. And we were sort of, you know, coming into our, you know, late teenage years and early 20s where all that stuff sort of started to occur and it's just now gone like this and i love a lot of technology that's for today i mean just doing what we're doing right now is great but i mean there's obviously the any time that you come you have great breakthroughs and in, in this space that there's also people who are going to abuse it and the scams and things or you're increasing because it's so easy to contact people or get them to look at something. When we were in high school, the scam somebody either had to knock on their door or give them a give them a call on your phone. And right. if you didn't have call waiting, the, the scammer had to keep calling back until the line was until the line. They had, they was had to be more dedicated, right? <laughs> You're calling some house for some teenagers talking to his girlfriend. You might be waking waiting a couple couple <laughs> hours, you know. So yeah. I mean, you know, or by mail or something like that. And it's just that yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it what do you think, Mike? Do you think like people who are being who are being born today? think they're going to be living with to a hundred years old no ten years and, old there's going to be a 95 year old applying for a part-time job at walmart as a it all, it all depends if 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 we change course in our in our foods i mean it's it's such uh on the forefront of everybody's being so conscious about um you know what kind of foods they're eating and what what is in the foods but the problem is like you think you're getting organic when you go to the store and you buy something that says organic it's as minimal organic as the fda will allow it to be have the organic label meaning it's almost just as bad for you as the other stuff that's out there and the you know the no gmos and all this other stuff uh, but it, it, that's the funny thing is, right? You see all the, on any of these packages, no GMO, no GMO, no GMO. But at the same time, you have like companies like Monsanto and, and other people saying, and Bill Gates out there saying, oh, no, GMO is the way to go. It's you need to have your food genetically modified because it, we, we will make sure that it has all the right nutrients and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, you know, it, it, I, I don't know if, if we get back to a point where we can, the reason that the generation before us is living to be so old is because the majority of their life, they didn't have this crap in their food, right? The reason people of our age right now are dying left and right of cancer is because they have had the food, this shit in their food, right? So it, I don't, I don't know, man, if, if they can, if they can get that right, I think they will start to live longer, but if they can't, the, 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 the average age of what we live to is just going to keep coming down and down and down. Well, I don't know. I, I can't imagine, say, your daughters, you know, 40 years from now, how they treat a medical condition could be so dramatically different 
than 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 today. Yeah, I mean, they will have advances, right? They're they're going to need the advancements, right? It's it if if it wasn't for what we're doing to ourselves, we wouldn't need the advancements that we're going to need in the future to be able to cure certain things. And I think we do have the cure for cancer right now, as it is. I think I'm I'm 100 positive of that. But there's there's so much money to be made for the treatment of cancer that if you cured that. If there was like a pill you took, or if there was a procedure you took to get rid of your cancer, granted, yeah, you'd make all kind of money on that. But there's so much more money to be made on the ongoing treatments, and if it comes back, and yada yada yada. I hate to, I hate to seem really like, you know, jaded in in that uh, area, but um, or cynical, but you know, I think money drives a lot of the the stuff in um, the medical field. And the decisions that's made, especially like with the vaccines and, and whatnot, there's there's just way too much money that they mess with people's lives. They, it's like they don't care about our lives. They just care more about the money. So whether they, whether we'll ever have a cure, like publicly known a cure for cancer or not, I have no, I have no idea. Maybe if we get some people with some ethics in charge of, of doing all this stuff, uh, it, it might change. But um, Well, they might not be able to cure it, but I think treatment options are going to get better i really do i really think people who are young now are going to live longer than than than, than we have i really i really feel and it's not because of curing anything i just think as far as treating something being able to detect something earlier and there's a lot of money in that too you know i'm not saying that they just go in oh i got cancer okay take this pill for seven days and you'll never have to deal with it again i'm just wondering what happens when there's a time where you have where you have people who are living to a hundred and now you have people who can't get by on social security and whatever they have saved, they're going to be, you're going to have a 90 year old applying for a job at a Walmart part-time, you know, or the works, you know, I mean, I just don't, you know, I don't know how that's, I don't know how that's going to. But the other side of that is, is it's like that stuff is still just going to get more expensive and more expensive. You know, there's a handful of uh, a lot of this new you know, Gen Gen Z and Gen Y, uh, the millennials and stuff, are pushing for you know socialized medicine and stuff like this. If they, if we ever go in that direction, they're not going to have that stuff available because there's not going to be enough money to pay for that to, to give it to them for free. I'll give you a good example. One of my coworkers was just over in Greece, and they have socialized medicine over there. She had an ear infection over there. She couldn't even get medication for it. There was there was no doctor to be had. She was like a like um they're like, oh, we have to, you know, set an appointment and come back in a you know month or whatever, and then we can get you. She had an ear infection right then and there. She a month from now, that's not gonna help. She couldn't even get to a pharmacist, she couldn't do anything because it just wasn't available over there. But that's you know, and that's a small little country like Greece. Exasperate that on a large scale to the United States. I just don't think people are thinking clearly. Yeah, sounds great to say, yeah, give me free health care. But when you think about that works maybe on, on a small scale, that might work on a state-by-state state basis. If a state chooses to do that, um, small countries, I can see that working. But, you know, it it just can't – it would never work on a large scale like the United States. It would just – it would bankrupt itself. So will, will, will they even be able to afford the treatment that they need to, to get the cures for the cancer that they have? That's, you know, that's a hypothetical question, but – well, that's a challenge now for a lot of people. I mean, true, honestly, true. honestly speaking. But yeah, I mean, I I don't, you know, the whole free healthcare does sound like a great idea. 
you know, but I mean, it's going to be, it'd be extremely But it's not free. Hard. It's got to be paid for. Well, I understand. And, but I mean, where, where you're not, where you're not putting out the, you know, you're not, you don't have to get it through your put. There's, there's a better way to take and do things. They're never going to do it. The politicians will talk about it. But they're not going to change anything on either side, because if you go and, if you go and look into it, you know, that, that industry, insurance, healthcare, and I are the biggest contributors to the campaigns of both parties. I mean, that's I did a paper on it when I went back to school as an adult and, and got my bachelor's degree and did a whole presentation and project on it. And there's a lot of money in healthcare. Even if insurance companies are making yep. double-digit growths every year, but they're willing, but they also are the biggest contributors, these people. So when you hear all this, sort of, well, this is what we need to do. This is what we're going to do. This is the solution. Yeah, a lot of times that is a solution, but they're not going to do anything about it except get you revved up to, to, to vote for them because it right. doesn't happen. I could go through every, every press. It's been, it's been that way for the last, if you want to really talk about it, you know, started back probably around the time that Bill Clinton got in office and it continues to go on and no side is going to, neither party is going to do anything really about it because they might look like they're going to, they'll try to fake an attempt for you, but they're, it's, 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 it's all money lip service. Something. It's just lip service. It's, yeah. It's money put in their pocket, which makes me think one thing, and this isn't really politically specific or anything like that. It's not to be touched on politics, but just think about this. I mean, a 50 year old accountant, he has, he or she has a trouble getting a job somewhere because they're too old. Companies like, you know, we don't really want to hire somebody 50 years old as an accountant or a 55 year old accountant, but that same company will go and donate millions of dollars to a politician Regardless of party, politician yeah. who's 90 years old, <laughs> who's 70, who's in her 80s to have a job to be involved with running the country versus somebody who's just in front of a computer using accounting knowledge and programs to do the accounting for a company. It makes right. absolutely None. no That's sense that you're, you're, that person's too old. But I don't mind as this big corporation giving $2 million to both campaigns. Right. Maybe one I'll give a little more to because I think I could get a little more out of him or her if they get in office. That just blows that just blow, blows me away. I understand why you won't don't want to hire a 55 year old as a running back for a football team. You know, <laughs> right. you know, I you know, or or to play you know, or to pay, play um rugby. I understand that, but it makes absolutely no sense except that there's some sort of incentive for companies to do that. And yeah. there's no incentive for that accountant or computer programmer. I mean, it's just, it's yeah, I mean, how much, how much, how much taxing is it on someone to sit there behind a computer and, and type and do the things that they know how to do already? Hey, well, that's like, that's, that should be age neutral, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're, and you're talking about our generation about great and everything like that. People live, you know, healthy, eating better, whatever that, that even applies less today than it did years ago. Right. And it seems like it's going into the reverse. Now it's you're in your forties. You're too old for that position. Oh yeah. You know, but I you're, know. Oh, you're 81. Oh, 
We'll donate a million dollars. We'll, do, we'll donate a couple of million dollars to your campaign right. to help run the country. Yeah, well, there should but, be age, you know, age. There should be age limits on politicians as well. Oh, but, absolutely, uh, absolutely. You know, I, I just think there there should be a cutoff point. Look, if there's going to be a a cutoff, if there's going to be a starting point. You have to be what thirty four to run run for president or something like that. Thirty five, I think it's thirty four, thirty five, something like that. Okay, maybe it should be capped at seventy or seventy five. If you're seventy five, you can't run for political office anymore. You're just you're you're out. I mean, I hate to yeah. say that's that's ageism or whatever, but that's at the point where most people start to decline. I don't care if you say, well, look at this person; he's seventy five, but he's just as you know, as sharp and as active as a fifty year old and whatever. That that doesn't have anything to do with it. First of all, you shouldn't. Chances are, if you're that old and you're in politics, you, you've been in politics your whole life and you probably shouldn't have been. You know, politics was supposed to be like public service. You weren't supposed to be get rich off of it. And 90 percent, 95 percent of every politician that goes in there, they become multimillionaires uh, off of yeah. uh, the, off of a few hundred thousand dollar a year salary. Uh, it's just it's it's crooked. So anyways. Yeah, no, um, no, no doubt. But people. Companies hire hire people who are older that are that are great at doing their job. I mean, yeah, exactly. you know, I mean, it's 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 there's a great the, the qualification should be the main thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, anyways, I want to I want to boast about one thing just because of our guest coming up, Lawrence Gowan from Sticks. Uh, I can't even remember if I boasted about this before, but I'm going to boast about it again because it's topical, and I know it's uh it's it's been off for a few years but uh i'll uh well let's just cue it up Rebel boast. all right i'm gonna boast about oh mama beer right um and i i probably have talked about this before but what the heck we'll rehash it for now uh this is local to pittsburgh so i'm sorry you're probably not if you're in saskatchewan or ontario or over in france or indonesia or japan you're probably gonna have to maybe order this online and have it shipped to you. Uh, most distributors just still don't even carry this right now. You have to go to a select few uh, distributors. It's made by Voodoo Brewing Company, and they just put a uh, – I think they have a new place over on the, the North Shore here in Pittsburgh, um, and you might be able to get it there. I'm not positive, so don't quote me on that. Um, uh, I do think it's still available. Whether they're still brewing it or not is another story. But this is a really good. It's it's a it's just a a, a traditional uh, lager, uh, American lager beer, uh, and it's I think I I had to put it in a category of something. I would say it's something along the line. Even though it's an American lager, I would say it's more like uh, Dos Equis or something like that, um, uh, or. I'm having a hard time like placing what else, what other kind of beer. Cause I, I, I drink mostly like Amber Ale and stuff like that. And some of the darker stuff, but this is a really good beer. Uh, it's got a good flavor to it. And um, it's a really cool can. Check that out. I mean, it's got the O mama. It's got the black and gold on there for the Steelers. It's got the old sticks logo on there. And uh, so this was uh, a joint effort between uh, sticks, the Steelers and voodoo brewing. So I would definitely check it out. So um, how about you? You got anything to talk about? 
Actually, I don't. I forgot all about that this morning when I got up for sort of. So you uh, take a month off and you just lose your mind, you know? No, it's the, I mean, we're, (laughs) this is usually not when we do the show and I'm not even where I'm at. I had to come up because the mail and the delivery coming with my dog, I'd have been on my porch probably for the, for this one under most, most circumstances being it's summer, but I'm kind of hiding here so that you know, my dog isn't flipping out and barking in the background. He's somewhere up. He's with me in a spot that he's not going to be able to hear the mail going in the slot right. or the UPS driver going down the street. So, well, yeah, I mean, if you can, uh, our viewers can see the leaked uh, sun coming behind my window there. That's uh, because it's it's uh, it's early in the day here. We had to uh, accommodate Lawrence Gowan for being on the show, which um, is uh, we're really looking forward to that interview. Um, we normally record these things in the evening. So yeah, maybe I'll, I'll let you slide this time for being a little bit off. So if you got nothing, we'll just end this segment of Rebel Boost. All right. Um, one last thing I want to talk about before we wrap things up that's uh, topical. Again, I know it's uh, we seem to be talking a lot about Pittsburgh stuff here, but that's fine. Um, have you seen in the news where the penguins are trying to work a deal to bring Yager back for one season, just, you know, just one, one year deal. Yeah. I, yeah, I did actually. I, I, I don't know that there, anybody would expect him to be a, like contribute much to the team. I think what it, this is, I think this is both the penguins and Yager wanting to get on the same page and possibly even Lemieux trying to pull the strings to make this happen to have him officially retire as a Pittsburgh Penguin because that, that would make it right, I think. Um, so I, I don't have any insight to that, but my guess is it's kind of like whenever, um, didn't they do that with uh, Greg Lloyd? Didn't the Steelers bring back Greg Lloyd just in his final year just so he could retire a Steeler? And um, or and even Kevin Green, don't, am I think, thinking about that wrong? Where they brought yeah, these guys back? With- yeah, but I think with Kevin Green, it wasn't to actually play, though. No, it wasn't. It was a cer- it was a ceremonial type of thing where I don't think he even played. I think they just brought him back. They brought him back on the team and then had him retire as a as a yeah. Steeler. And yeah, he didn't um, come back and play. I don't no. think so. But like I said, I think that was just ceremonial. I know oh, the yeah, funny was- the funny thing was that Kevin Green, you know, had, had the, the best of his playing days with the Steelers, but he wasn't even drafted a Steeler, right? We we got him in free agency. So that was kind of the weird thing. He didn't start his career here, but he made his career here. And, um, but, um, you know, I just think that would be, for me personally, I think that would be kind of cool. I, I, I don't know that anybody's expecting Yager to play at his age. I mean, he's, what, just a few years younger than us. Um and um, I don't know that anybody would be anticipating him contributing in any major way. I think this is just an idea of like, let's get him on the team and then ha- he can officially retire and then he can retire as a penguin. What, what do you think about that? Well, as you know, I'm not a, I don't watch a lot of hockey. I'm one of the few here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, does. damn you. I'm big, big football guy, but <laughs> college and pro, but I don't know. I, uh, why, why would any, have a problem with it yeah i don't think most fans i mean put it this way i I think people didn't know the full story of why he left here to begin with and i think it was uh i don't think it was him holding out for more money i think it was part of on the on the penguin side of just not wanting to pay him and uh i i I mean i 
we'll never know, right? What's made public about these types of things are one thing, but what actually happens behind the scenes is something usually completely different. But I think like enough time has passed uh, that people are, are earned dear to Yager, much like, you know, look, look what happened with Terry Bradshaw, right? They were pissed off at Bradshaw for years, but he came back and made things right. And now he's endeared uh, by the city. And I think Yager, the, the same way, um, you know, when like when he just came back here recently and he visited the Penguins and um, th that made headlines, like people were sharing that left and right. And they were they were excited to see that. Um, I think so. I think it'll be received really well. I just don't think that anybody thinking realistically think, is thinking, why are they why are they bringing him back at his age? It just doesn't make any sense. I think people know, look, this is he's not going to be here to contribute. He's going to be here to retire as a Penguin and that's it. And I'm fine with that. And I think I'm not speaking on behalf of all Penguin fans, but I'm thinking that that's probably going to be well received amongst most Penguin fans. Just my personal opinion. So, anyways, all right. Let's so uh, let's wrap this up here because uh, I uh, can't wait to get to uh, speak with Lawrence Gowan. I think one by one we're going to start picking off all the members of Sticks. Maybe we should go after Tommy Shaw next. You know, we'll get JY, we'll get Chuck, and we'll get them all on the show. <laughs> <laughs> one by one and drum uh, tech guitar tech look i mean i you know i don't uh get all giddy about meeting bands right i mean i i've 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 a lot of my friends who you know have made it in professional uh they've been on this show they're successful musicians they're rock stars if you will um I, they're just regular people and that's how i treat them but um for for some reason, even though Styx is my the the band that I first liked as a kid, the first rock band I liked as a kid, the first concert I ever went to as a kid, um, I've I've still have never met them. Isn't that weird? I've never never other than one time. Um, and this is, doesn't I don't want to say it doesn't count. It it does. Um, one show I was at. When Glenn Burtnick was in the band, matter of fact, um, this was the early days of of Lawrence Gowan, I believe, when he was in the band. Um, they, Todd Suckerman and Glenn Burtnick used to, it was known that they would just wander around the place just to like kind of view the opening acts as a spectator. And uh, I don't even know, if you, maybe you were even at the show with me at the time whenever we did this. But anyways, I was at the 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 gates at the very area where they were coming out. And I just happened to catch them as they as they were coming out to go walk around. So um, that's the closest I came to meeting them. But you know, I mean, Todd's the the, the he's, although he's been with them for over twenty five years, he's uh, only the second drummer they've ever had. Glenn had two tours with Sticks. First, to replace Tommy Shaw, um, you know, back in the nineties, and then secondly to replace Chuck Pinazzo on bass um, later on. Um, you know, it's not the same as meeting, you know, the main guys in the band, but it was still cool to, to just kind of meet them impromptu like that. So anyways, this is this is my selfish way of possibly getting to, you know, know the band and meet the band by having them on our show here one at a time if I can't <laughs> hang out with them in person. So anyway, so we hope you, you enjoy that. So uh, uh, we'll be right back after this. Just hang in there and we'll be back with Lawrence Gowan of Sticks. Yowza. Labyrinths.
All right, Brainiacs, light it up. Let's get this show on the road. We got with us the incredible Lawrence Gowan of Sticks. Let's give him a big round of applause. Yeah. And the Muchas, studio's gracias. Going out here. Muchas gracias. <laughs> Muchas gracias. Wait a second. You're Canadian. What are you switching it up on us? Uh, yeah, they, they, they say that. Some people in Canada say that. <laughs> those <laughs> those in the southern tier. Those in the southern people, tier. Yeah, more people say merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Some of them right. even say thank you, but not all of them have, you know, are all that mannerly. Well, you know, I, it was at least when it comes to bands, right? I mean, most of the bands you hear of coming from Canada, there's there's really not like a whole lot of drama. <laughs> And they're, they just seem like good guys. I mean, other than Triumph, maybe, but they're, they're, <laughs> you know, there's, uh, they're, they're usually pretty down to earth, right? You know, nice guys. I mean, even the guys from, from Rush and Honeymoon Suite and all those guys, I mean, they're, they're all great guys. Yeah, generally, so, generally we don't try to, you know, get too big for our, um, for our hockey helmets. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, I know that's a prerequisite, right? I mean, much like when you're in Pittsburgh, you've got to be a, a Penguin and a Steelers fan. But when you're in Canada, you just, you got to, you grow up with hockey. I mean, that's, you have to be a hockey fan. If you're not, you, you get uh, extradited, don't you? You, yeah, well, yeah, there, the federal law is that you have to be a hockey fan, but there are local municipalities now where they let people have uh, freedom of their own uh, uh, sports choice. I'm seeing more and more people playing soccer and playing basketball in the streets than I am seeing hockey lately, which I do lament. I usually, you know, will pull the car over, throw some hockey sticks in front of them. Playing. <laughs> you guys don't know what you're doing here. So right. <laughs> you're right. You, you got to guide them in the right direction. That's all. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. That's funny. So yeah, you do a lot of that, right? You, you go around any city that you're in, you do a lot of videotaping out in public. Um, I you did. Know. I did that this morning. Uh, we're we're <laughs> Garden City in New York, and and yeah, we're playing New York tonight. Actually, we got a great show lined up for tonight. We got Don Felder and Joe Bonamassa, so it's going to be wow, a, wow. So, <laughs> and, well, so, but I like to soak up as much of the local culture or lack of culture, if there happens to be that way. Just to get a, a a sense of where we are, and in some manner that will make its way into the show, and maybe maybe in in a, in a subtle way, but sometimes in a more obvious way. But it's part of what gets me prepared for eight o'clock. As I said earlier, everything's kind of like um, geared toward getting ready to be on stage that night. Right. Well. And also, I mean, regardless of where you're at, uh, you know, there's there's always been a, a strong Pittsburgh connection with with sticks, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh my God! Well, first of all, our manager Charlie Brosco, he's from Pittsburgh. Although oh, he lives, I didn't know that. Although he lives in Atlanta now, anything Pittsburgh, he finds incredible. I mean, I even early on, I went and bought a I bought a tie for stage, and when he saw the store that I bought it from, or just happened to see a receipt or whatever it was, he went. Oh my God! My dad used to shop there, etc. And it's all, like there's a Pittsburgh story to everything. Right. Uh, with with Charlie and I, I that's one of the things I love because it's uh, <laughs> it's one time he's so he's so well associated with that city. There was one time he said he called me about there was a Pittsburgh Penguin game. We don't have to go down sports too far, but I'll just tell you this little quick story. Charlie came to see us. Uh, we were playing in Pittsburgh. Um, the next night we were playing at the at the igloo but we we're there the night before and uh it's the game starts at 7 30 at 7 25 okay he called me and went 
hey, you want to go to the hockey game? <laughs> and we're right across the street. <clears throat> well, maybe, maybe two blocks away from the from the igloo, uh, which was the stadium at that time. And uh, I said, yeah, the game starts in like five minutes. He goes, just come downstairs. We'll drive over. I'm like, drive? It's two blocks. Why would we drive? <laughs> parking. And we went over to the game. <laughs> I'm into this story now. I got to tell it, I guess. Uh, we drive over to the arena and uh, I said, it's going to take us longer to park. It's like two minutes till they drop the puck. Right. And uh, he goes, don't worry about it. He pulls right up to the, literally the front door of the arena, got out the, the parking guy immediately came over, but you know, like, yeah, you can, et cetera. He said about one sentence to the guy about, you know, remember that the guy pulled the park car up right literally at the front door. We waltzed in. I said, what did you say to him? I just, he says, I just told him, you know, I'm, I'm very Pittsburgh greased in. <laughs> <laughs> and we went in and watched the hockey game together and it was, um, it was beauty. Eh? All right. Awesome. That's a great story. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the the Steelers adopted "Renegade" as their kind of theme song, and yeah, uh, you know, they play it late in the game when they're they're they need a boost, especially from the crowd and stuff, and it always stamps them up. And I remember years ago they even sold a um, uh, well, Sticks sh- sold a uh, shirt that said "Oh Mama" on it, oh, yeah. and it was all black and gold. Uh, uh, you know, I love the Steelers again. again the, associ- the association, both with the Steelers and the NFL, that's the first time that the NFL have ever licensed something that wasn't an NFL product. You know what I mean? Wow. It was a product of that song. And Renegade is so embraced in that city. You know, uh, we, <laughs> there was one time we were there. It is. Uh, there's the Omama beer. That's the Omama beer. I can't get it across the border into Canada. You're not allowed to get it. I don't know. You got to get it here in Pittsburgh. I know. Well, I've done that. But <laughs> I've done it all, baby. Um, but uh, we're, we were at the football game, uh, sitting in a, in, a, in a private box, and, and uh, we sang the anthem that day, as, in fact. But when they played Renegade in the fourth quarter of the game, <laughs> we, spotlights and all the cameras, you know, on the jumbotron came to the um, came to the box that we we're in, and, and we were standing there, you know, Tommy J. Y. Chuck and, and the rest of us, and basically waving. <laughs> Like the royal family to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, in as Pittsburgh, they, that you are. As so they, as they put, yeah, as they put that big push of the defensive push into the fourth quarter, and uh, and they won. So you're welcome. Right. Well, you know the other uh, good Pittsburgh connection is uh, Mark Petricelli, my good friend of 30 years yes. plus. Uh, you know, is now Todd's right hand man. And uh, he's just loving every minute of uh, working that gig and just having a blast with you guys. Mark and, and I spoke. Mark and I spoke yesterday, and I said, "So this guy, Michael Michael Kadri, is he is a good guy?" And he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, you'll have fun on his show." And he was right. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> and we're just getting going. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, just a couple more things. You did um, the the uh, too much time in my hands video for the Steelers playoffs. Yes, we um, did. Which didn't lockdown. really help. <laughs> well, we did it in lockdown, so we have to be there right. and for it in order to for it to lead to uh to another super bowl or something like that but we did do it in lockdown and uh you know um what can i say i guess in canada we would say i'm sorry yeah <laughs> well we're not going to put the blame on you trust me maybe if you would have done renegade instead of too much time in my hands maybe the outcome would have been different but if probably meant some words probably. if you recorded that during the lockdown now how did how were you guys able to re- record that were you just 
individually doing things, or I know there's a couple apps I've heard of that you could actually perform live in real time, no matter where every, no matter where everybody else is. You could sort of go into different studios and sort of play together at the same time, which blows me away. That's right, Mark. Uh, what what occurred in such rapid fire uh, during the the lockdowns is. Uh, technologically is is really amazing. I mean, what we're doing right now, I didn't even know this existed on March 1st of 2020. By May 1st, I knew exactly what this was because I'd done about 100 of them, right? And we, um, there was an app, I may have even been around earlier, but I guess it got perfected or something called Audio Movers. I was, couldn't cross the border in a studio in Toronto. We have a full-blown studio there that's, you know, world-class studio. And I, I'm there. Todd is in Austin in his drum, you know, room factory, <laughs> and uh, Tommy and Willie Vankovich, a producer there in Nashville. In real time, we were able to listen to each other through the studio monitors. I'm playing, you know, on my, you know, 1920s Steinway and my 1971 Mellotron and everything, and we're hearing this all in real time and kind of put, putting the album together. We, you know, we we worked on Crash the Ground based a lot upon the fact that we did a few kind of test ones first, like too much time in my hands and realized this can be done. We can actually wow. do this in real time. And the result was great. I mean, Crash of the Crown got to number one on the Billboard Rock album chart. And it was as if, because we made it as if we were in the same room. That's really yeah. cool. Um, yeah, one other um, thing, well, like, and again, we're not going to blame you guys for the Steelers loss at that time. That's just, it was, just circumstantial but anyways we're, we're used to them losing in the playoffs but um anyways you, you also back in your early days of sticks uh you recorded um one of your songs for the uh what's it the, the 20th or 21st century live uh cd and dvd you did uh, a criminal mind which yeah. was recorded here in pittsburgh that right. you put on yeah. that um yeah. great performance and i think what that did is that kind of opened up the world to some people to think, oh, is this a new stick song? But then when they found out it's one of your songs, yeah. they're like, maybe that's when people start doing the deep dive on you and find out where you came from and that you had a past before sticks and all this yeah. stuff. So yeah. um, that was, uh, you know, again, I I just, because I follow sticks, uh, you know, I mean, I, my very first concert ever was when I was 12 years old. I I saw them at the, at the Igloo. I saw them on the uh, Pieces of Eight tour. And, um, so that was, you know, I've seen them probably on every tour since, but, um, so I do a deep dive at that time, you know, find out who you are and your background and stuff like this. There's, there's a lot of acts from Canada that, that, I mean, probably by intent, you know, bled down here to the United States. Uh, I mean, a ton of them, I can't even list them all. There's so many Canadian bands, but, um, why do you think that like you as a solo artist or whatever, never kind of like, Oh, yeah. made it down here. The easy answer to that is that in it's hard for younger people to comprehend this, but in the 1980s, um, you know, leading up to that, there were, there were four major labels, right? There was Columbia capital EMI, right? Uh, Warner brothers and A&M, although A&M were the biggest independent label and that's what the label sticks were on. I was on CBS on Columbia signed in Canada. And back then they were very judicious when it came to who got a worldwide release. Right now this is going, we can put this out to the whole world. That's the, the whole complete dynamic change of the, of the internet. 
But in the 1980s, when they were very careful with what artists got released where, there were there were artists in England who could fill Wembley and were just in the import bins in the United States. And of course, the U.S. is, be, is the jewel in the crown when it comes to, you know, a release for rock music. So because I was managed by the same people that managed Rush, there were some good attempts made to kind of force the hand of, of, of uh, CBS to release me in the U.S. So at first they would say, okay, well, we'll wait till the album goes gold. And I went, and I went platinum. And they said, well, when it goes double platinum, we'll release it. So it goes double platinum. Well, when it goes triple platinum, we're sending them charts where Strange Animal, the album I'm talking about, was number one. And then you had Phil Collins, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen. Like, I, you know, it's amazing how nothing would force their hand. And the reason for that was they were the gatekeepers. And when you control the market, you can really control what people hear and what they don't hear instead of having this glut of, you know, music from around the world. So funny enough, in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, uh, you know, one of the things that happened that was great was um, I got onto the Tears for Fears tour and opened all over the United States, again, trying to force their hand to release the record. And I got into the top 20 with that song, A Criminal Mind, in on uh, WDVE Pittsburgh. It was one of the highest requested songs. And in Cleveland on WMMS, to where I even went and played a solo concert there. So things looked to be rising. And I remember the local uh, CBS affiliate guy going, oh, that's right, after I played that solo, and then, then Foreigner asked, it got me to open a show for them at the stadium, that Rich, Rich View and Rich Field Stadium in Cleveland. So things were kind of on the rise, but one of the local reps said to me, you got to be incredibly frustrated because audiences really like in this radio stations are, are getting tons of requests. I only have imports. He goes, mm -hmm. I'm nothing out of New York to, uh, to push your record. And that's basically where, how the story went is, is it was like, it, it seemed like there was no hurdle that I could jump over and get, and funny enough, I, I noticed you have imagine on your, on your wall behind you there. <laughs> Michael, I say the Strange Animal album was recorded in John Lennon's home when oh, wow. Ringo Starr lived there at the time. So he was there for the, we were there six months, 1984, making that record. Ringo would come in periodically. But it's, if you ever see the movie, uh, Imagine, John Lennon movie, you'll see, which came out in 87. It, it's the same, it was the same instruments, the same uh, mics, everything. I had, you know, Tony Levin and Jerry Murata from, and David Rhodes from Peter Gabriel's band, another great guitarist named Chris Jarrett. And, uh, you know, it, it, everything looked to be on the rise. To, and, and it was. I mean, it turned out fantastic for me in Canada. But, um, the U.S. was was kind of withheld, and uh, so funny enough, uh, you know, years later I got to play it back there again, except as a member of Sticks. So, you know, yeah, that's well, that's a great story. I mean, and, and not only that, but had had things worked out for you to be bigger than you were, you wouldn't be where you're at right now. And I mean, you you've been right. on the time machine. We don't know whether you would have been better off as a solo artist with sticks, but you've had a pretty darn good ride with sticks so far. Oh God. I'm in my twenty fifth year with this band and I, I love every night that we walk on stage. And I still play my solo show. Next week I play one, two, three, I got four sold out shows in Canada that I do next right. week as with uh, my solo band. So yeah, I love it. Now, has having um, fellow Canadian Stephen Crowder use uh, Strange Animal as his theme song helped you out at all? <laughs> have you gained more followers? Or? Well, I, know you, I know who you mean. And uh, I, I have popped over and seen him using it. And, and uh, it, 
you know, that's the more people that hear it, the better. That's the way right. I look at it. I don't yeah, I, just get new exposure, I you so, it, but I don't really. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're better off to stay out of it and sticks as well. I mean, I know sticks at one time they, they, they visited uh, the white house with when, back when Reagan was there back in the eighties, yeah. but they've pretty much uh, kept out of politics, which I think is probably the best thing to do. Uh, as soon as you start choosing a side, you're, you're going to start alienating your audience. You guys have been probably one of the, the best bands that uh, are super successful that have re continued to remove yourself. I mean, look at even Journey. Like that that caused nothing but turmoil within the band uh, uh, once they had their political issues and stuff like that. So you guys have done a great job with that of of keeping things to yourself because that's where it belongs. You know, I mean, unless you're unless you're going to throw yourself out there in the political ring, you know, then you could expect to have whatever kind of backlash is is going to come against you for choosing yeah. one side over the other. So I, I think it comes down to what you what the music is like. I think the music of Sticks, the lyrics of the band are, uh, you know, in such a way as they, they don't really necessarily lean to any political, uh, uh, at, you know, uh, point of view, uh, ideology. That's what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. Instead, they, 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 most of them, to my interpretation of the songs of the past and even the ones that we've done in the last few records um they they more or less celebrate the freedom of spirit that that is supposed to be part of the american ideal and is and uh that really exists regardless of which affiliation you have i i think that's that's front and center um uh, and you know i think we've i can safely say that None of us support the communist regime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think th there's one exception. Political statement of the day. <laughs> right, right. I, that's that's a very good statement yeah. to make. Yeah. But um, the I think the one exception that goes with that is is Kilroy was here, which is nothing but uh, a political uh, you know message on the album. But they 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 tried to set the the tone and the message of that like so far into the future that it kind of removed them from the modern day politics of, of it all. So well, my interpretation of that is, is, is more that the, the dangers, obviously the, the obvious dangers of, of technology and, and, and giving ourselves over too much to that, to, to something else ruling or uh, having some sort of uh, overbearing um, uh, say in our personal freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's uh, how does it, does it actually for to your mind, does it lean to one, uh, one political ideal over another? Um, only in the fact that it's it's anti-authoritarianism, um, uh, uh, anti-communism, uh, you know, anti-you know, uh, you know, you name it, anything that's that's uh, controlling from the government. It's speaking out uh, for freedom. And, yeah. you know, don't block free speech, you know, the the whole thing of, of burning the records, burning the books and, you know, Dr. Righteous, you know, as this kind of, uh, you know, 1984 big brother uh, style entity, um, <laughs> you know, so um, it, that's that's what I took away from it, even at a, at a young age. But yeah, um, well, but, but that that I think we're then we're in full agreement. It, all, all of those things impinge on 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 the freedom of the individual to, to, uh, seek out their own, uh, their, their own sense of liberty and their own sense of, of what they can accomplish. Right. You know, I, I think, um, you know, that's, uh, man, I'm making some heavy political statements today. <laughs> no, we, we don't even go get into politics on this show. So I don't even know to the press. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of dovetailed that way. 
Hey, yeah. I, I do want to talk about um, when you did jo- join the band there in the late 90s and um, when you were called in, you were I think you were initially called in to uh, just replace Dennis on the tour because he was ill and stuff. Um, you know, whether that, at least that was the public message that was put out there, whether that was internal with the band or not is, is something different. Um, I mean, I've known for years that they've, I mean, it's one of the reasons why they broke up right to begin with is because of the fact that the, the internal conflicts of the, the, the direction that the band members wanted to take sticks. And, um, so they've always had this kind of, you know, rub with, with, with Dennis, but, was there, you know, after their big reunion and then Dennis couldn't tour and you were brought in, um, was there any sense of like looking over your shoulder, like, hey, is this guy coming back? Is it, you know, am I safe? Or like, well, how many years did it take for you to finally feel settled in the band? Uh, yeah, well, let's see now. I, I I never comment on, for example, whatever the... Um, whatever disrupted their relationship because I know nothing of that. Right. Yeah. You don't have to do that. There, right. That's why I'm talking specifically about how you felt and when, what you went through at that time. Yeah. When, when I got a call, you know, what I, what I consider um, joining the band on tour, I, uh, you know, consider that went to Tommy's uh, place in Los Angeles and the whole band was there and our manager. Um, and, uh, but in the car ride over, to Tommy's place. Uh, JY picked me up at the airport. JY made it clear to me that, you know, when they saw me perform in Montreal and Quebec City, he said, you were in our heads and enough so that, uh, uh, you know, a lady named Kim Ouellette had mentioned me to Tommy when they said, we, we, we want to do this tour. They went, yeah, that's right, that guy from Canada. And uh, JY, I remember, just said to me, we, we, you know, we're kind of fond of you already and <laughs> we, we We'd like to see if the, if this is the future for the band. And then when we when we sang together that day, well, first a couple of great things happened. One is I, I had prepared a few stick songs, and Tommy immediately stopped me when I was about to play. I think the beginning of "Fooling Yourself." He goes, "No, no, no, don't play. Play a criminal mind." So that was an, a fantastic <laughs> opening to to us meeting. I, you know, so I played right. it. By the time I finished it, seven minutes long. So I mean, they were still awake, luckily. And he said. Uh, he said, oh, we got to make that a stick song. And so I, I felt embraced into it like immediately. Um, when we did our first show, the only moment, that, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this in the past, the only moment that, that struck me was in the first show we did together, uh, We I think we opened with Blue Collar Man, or I think Brave New World, because that was the album that they just finished, and into Blue Collar Man, into Grand Illusion. And after the, the intro of Grand Illusion, you know, the ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, well, people know how it goes. Uh, right as I'm, I'm about to draw a breath to, to sing the first line, I thought, oh, well, this here, here's an audience that are going to hear someone else interpret this song um, for the first time. And I guess I'll know in about four minutes whether or not we can stretch this out for a year or two. <laughs> At the end of the song, things were very... Um, positive within the audience and Tommy and JY came over with big grins on their faces and it was all high fives to people in the front row and stuff. And, and here I am in the 25th year of the being part of this amazing band. Yeah. I've never, I, I've never, the thing is as far as looking over my shoulder, no, I, I, I don't do that. I just, I get ready for each show each night and or whatever song we're writing right now and do that. And, and 
if one day I have to go and, you know, play just my solo stuff again, that's, that may be what happens. But at the moment, we're such a cohesive unit. I, I can't really foresee that. Yeah, you kind of get that when you guys did the Dan Rather interview, right? Like, there's no looking back to Dennis or anything like that. And, you know, I remember Dennis. Well, go ahead. ahead. I would only say this. You know, we are the culmination. The band that you see on stage is the culmination of the efforts of everyone who's ever been in it. So Mm -hmm. very obviously, during the period of Dennis DeYoung, uh, John Serluski, John Panazzo, even for the one album, you know, Glenn Burtnick, and two, actually, because he worked on Cyclorama with us. Right. Right. The first five years I was in it. It, it. We are the culmination of the efforts of everyone, you know. So who you're seeing on the stage every single night is without without the other guys, it wouldn't be what it is. And here we That's are. A good way to look at it. Fifty two years later, and the band is, you know, we'll go and play to to a jammed, you know, amphitheater tonight in New York. So it, it's a, a great successful thing. The other thing I like to add is I remember. About five years ago, something like that, I was at a Rolling Stones show and I, I, I had great seats. And then, you know, Mick came by and I'm like, yeah, Mick, yeah. And Keith came by and then, you know, because of that reception <laughs> thing they had in the front of the stage, the right. uh, scene of that. And and then suddenly Ron Wood came by and I'm looking at Ron going, yeah, Ron, you know. And I realized, you know, he's not the same. He's the third guitarist in this band and he exudes everything that is in the spirit of the Rolling Stones is in this guy. Right. As it was in Brian Jones, as it was in, in, in Mick Taylor. And the spirit of a band is what reads, needs to thrive, needs to, needs to move on and, and survive any seismic, um, you know, earthquakes that, that come along. And I would only point to the fact that, that, that we, this, this band has doubled the length of its existence, uh, over the last 25 years and that means that something about it is right yeah and if we had a a lot more time to talk about things i'd want to dive and do a deep dive into that because um it's just amazing to me i got got another 10 minutes (laughs) well i mean it's just that you know the the success that the band has had obviously like you know ricky and, and i talked about this in his interview that you know are several different things first of all if tommy's voice wasn't as Tommy, as it was back in the day, there would be no sticks. Right. You know, it, yeah. it's good. It's great that, you know, you come out on stage and you sound like Lawrence Gowan, like Dennis DeYoung, passively aggressive, said, well, Lawrence Gowan is the best Lawrence Gowan that there is, you know. But I think that's that's more of a compliment than he thinks because you're like, you are an animal, not a strange animal, but you're an animal on stage in a, in a great entertainment way. And JY still, even though he's not JY of JY old, he he's still JY, right? And he still brings that presence. And um, it's the whole totality. Like you said, it's everybody in the band that, that makes the sound sound yeah. as great as it is. Yeah. But, like what makes, what makes that generational? You know, that, that just, it's not just people like me who've been, you know, following you guys since the seventies and seeing you live since the seventies, but it's, it's like my kids love sticks and they've been to stick shows and, and you know what I mean? So what is it that keeps you guys on, on this level way up here? There's no, there's no one single answer to that, but I, I, I have said this rock music is the great musical statement of the last half of the 20th century, indisputably. Yeah. 
it it has withstood the because it survived over those 50 years it's now it's now looked upon as a legitimate uh musical force or or style that has been has crossed generations as you said there michael um and it's cross generation because the melodic content, the lyric content is relatable. I think it's really that, that people get a melody stuck in their head. That song is there forever, especially if they can see themselves somewhere in the narrative of, of, of the lyric. Uh, then it's going to, it's, it's, it's going to survive. And this, and it has survived. I think when they see us live, what a pedigree they're seeing on that stage. You know, obviously you've got Tommy J.Y. Chuck who have their, um, obvious, um, lineage and legacy with the band but you're also seeing todd Zuckerman, who played with brian wilson of of the beach boys you know and, and, and had done that ricky phillips from the, the babies and bad english and you know now we have willie vankovich who was with the guess who and with shaw blades before that and other great things and myself coming into the band prior to joining as a solo artist i my on my own records i had you know have the guys from Peter Gabriel's band, who I mentioned, Tony Levin and Jerry Murata and, and uh, David Rhodes. And then you've got uh, the next album, John Anderson from Yes as a, as, as a guest vocalist on one of the best songs ever. Phenomenal piece I did. Then I had Alex Lifeson was the guitarist on the next album, Lost Brotherhood. And then on the, on the following record from there, there was Robert Fripp and uh, uh, John Sebastian, believe it or not, played with us on, on one song. Uh, so I had all of that in the background, you know, um, prior to joining the band. So I really felt like I, I can bring all of that into this, uh, you know, entity. And never once did they ever ask me to do an impression or, or anything of that nature. And I think that's, again, part of why it may have thrived, is right. that it's up to the audience if they can accept my interpretation of those songs but now we're at a point where particularly with the success of the mission and, and crash of the crown i have my own writing in there that 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 has you know opened up my voice into being part of the part of the tapestry of what sticks is and so uh it's it, it has worked out and crossed those generations as you say I, tonight half the audience will be under 40 right so right. they weren't born when the biggest classic rocks records were made Right. And of the of them, at least two thirds, if not more, three quarters of them will be under thirty. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty amazing how many people. Are, you know, you see a lot of like people under thirty, and then people double their age in the audience, and it's that's pretty amazing uh, experience to go through and see see the big smiles in their faces and arms in the air, and um, yeah. Well, that's a good segue to the next thing I wanted to ask real quick. Um, I mean, one of the best concerts, uh, one of the best concerts I've ever been to, not just for Sticks, but in general, was I, I flew down to Atlanta where my brother lives to see the uh, Pieces of Eight Grand Illusion show, which was just incredible. Yeah. And, um, you know, playing some deep cuts that you've even never, never played live or you personally have never played. And then you've kind of adopted some of those to stick around, like in the set, um, like even after that tour, like, you know, Pieces of Eight and stuff like that, which is a great song, um, or Queen of Spades. Um, yeah. You know, I asked this of, of of Ricky, who said the first his first challenge with the band when he came in is you, you played the whole med medley. Like he, he knew the whole medley, the whole Sticks medley, which like myself as a fan, I love. But yeah. um, and I wish you guys would bring back uh, maybe even a, a re 
uh, imagined version of that medley, which is just incredible. I really think you guys should bring something like that back. But towards uh, the end of Steve Augeri being in Journey, they did what was called a fans-only tour. And it was a short tour. But what they did was they had people, some like they had all of their songs from every single album, and they had people vote on what songs they wanted to hear live. And they said, regardless of what, what we think of the song, we're going to play the, the ones that got the most votes. Yeah. And they were playing things from back in the first Journey album, the second Journey album that they, they've never played. And have you guys ever contemplated doing something like that where you just open up the catalog and say, look, we're going to play for the next two or three months is going to be fans only. You guys vote on what songs we're playing. Have you ever thought about something like that? I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I'm, I'd be all for it. I extricated myself from the what we're playing on the set list um, <laughs> many, many years ago because right. I remember JY one day uh, in exasperation believe it or not, he went, well, we just have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to great songs to play. Yeah. Well, that's, and, that, that's that adds one more thing, though, too. What, as, a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to complain about. And I just took my, I like looking at the set list now, like it's a menu that someone just handed me. And I look at it right before we go on stage, make sure I can remember how all those bits <laughs> are. And it's a lovely surprise when I suddenly look down and go, oh, we're, we're going to play, that. we're going to do light up tonight, you know, right. or yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, so I'm as open to that random uh, selection that others could be involved in it as, as anyone possibly could be. Mark, you're not saying anything, man. Well, I'm just saying hey, the conversation's flowing great. I don't want to, I know we're limited on time. I don't want to break things up, but I do have one quick question for you though. You're talking about as far as like the performance and things like that. Mike and I saw you the last time you were, you were in town here and I was at, I'm just blown away by how entertaining that you are on stage. I mean, I, I'm a musician too, and I'm getting older. I'm not, you know, and I'll run and I lift weights and I try to do things to kind of keep myself, you know, you know, to I don't want to say to compete with the younger people, but maybe in a sense, maybe that would be the correct term. What are you doing? I mean, you, you're up there, inter, you're, you're entertaining more, especially as a keyboardist yet. You're out there really putting on a show to a lot of, People that are in their 20s go out there and perform, and they don't have that ability to sort of keep the adrenaline going that long. Are you doing anything to, you know, keep yourself in shape and, you know, so that you could you could give a better performance? Uh, yes, I always have. I, I I like rock performers who are, you know, have a, a sense of theatricality, but also physically you know, throw themselves into it. It's just the type of music that I think you have to do that. I, I I would feel like I really cheated the audience if I didn't come off kind of drenched in sweat. So um, the, the first, you know, I've curtailed my workouty things over the years, depending on, uh, you know, knowing the physical limitations that start to come in. So I used to play hockey like four times a week, you know, pretty competitive as well and, and, and stuff. Don't do that anymore because, Sticks fans are not going to accept, hey, he, uh, you know, he got tripped on a breakaway last night and he can't make it to the show. Um, it, so to stop that. Then I did I did weights for quite a while and uh, probably going to start doing a little bit of that again now because that, that was a great way to kind of get yourself into a little bit of a pop, I think. Uh, but um, now... Mostly the walking thing is the is the big deal during the day. If I, you know, I like I I I do like the ten thousand step thing that comes on your phone and all that. Um, 
I like that. I do a little bit of, you know, a little bit of weight stuff and, and, you know, a few push-ups and things like that. But the show itself, quite honestly, Mark, it, that is a workout. <clears throat> that is, you know, what you're seeing on stage is that I'm, I'm, I'm working it so that the audience is feeding that energy at you and you just kind of, you lap it up and you, you try to throw it back at them. And then that's that wonderful cycle that, that, that kicks into where you're just in such a euphoric state that it, it, I'm not going to say it's effortless, but the effort is is in is a pure enjoyment. So maybe that. And I do I do try to eat, you know, as healthy as I can, and not overeat, and not, you know. But I I like bad things too. <laughs> well, hey, I want to first of all thank you for joining us, Lawrence, and taking the time uh, to to be here with us. I just want to wrap things up with a plea. Sure. It's a personal plea, um, you know. Crash of the Crown is is a masterpiece in of its own right. I love you know, save us from ourselves. Is an amazing song. To me, the mission is possibly the third greatest Sticks album ever recorded. Uh, I just personally speaking, and one of the greatest uh, Sticks songs in the top five, in my opinion, five maybe even. If you want to push it to top seven, okay, is radio silence. Uh, you, you, when you guys play shows and you have staples that you play from all the things, and I know that's a newer stick song, but man, you're you're doing a disservice to that song by not including that in every single show that you play. It's that good of a song. I'm so glad to hear you say that. First of all, one of the great things is yes, when you see top ten lists of favorite sticks albums now the mission is in there and she's often in the top five so that to me is a great i think one of the greatest compliments people go i, I listen to the mission and then i listen to grand illusion and I, man i love those two records and that to me is okay that means that the the spirit of what sticks is is, is alive um but yeah radio silence i remember even when we finished writing that i remember we went to went out to santa rosa will was living there at the time Will was just just the producer and co-writer at that, <laughs> but uh, we we worked on that for a whole week, and we wanted to hit on as many sticks idiom things as we could, but at the same time have it sound like something that that was concurrent with what the band is today. And I think yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I think Radio Silence. I was so pleased with how that that piece of music came out, and uh, yes. Uh, I think they got we're all in adjoining rooms. We should be playing radio silence in every show. There. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right, you put your vote in. Okay, so we'll wrap it up here. Uh, anything you want to plug on your way out? Uh, my hair could probably use a few. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, I just just honestly that 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 we love the fact that the, the audience has been so great to this band for over 50 years and we love doing what we do as much as as much as we ever have even maybe even more so and funny enough having conversations like this they're part of what underlines my my own conviction that that we're onto something you know that's that's really great um, and you know, this is kind of, to me, this is kind of a pep talk for the show tonight. So I thank you guys as well. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a great show tonight. Everybody visit sticksworld.com to find out where they're playing in your town coming up soon. Hopefully you guys make it back to Pittsburgh soon. You don't play here often enough. And I don't know why there's a straight connection with Pittsburgh and you don't play here often enough. So yeah. 
got to got to talk to somebody about that. So hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a, a complaint thing up to management. And- there you go. Also follow uh, Lawrence on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook, and are you on uh, X, Twitter, whatever? We can flash that up there. Uh, wherever your 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 social media accounts. And I like do, I like doing the Instagram story because it gives people an idea of what's going on today. That's the main thing. And then I think that gets tweeted or xed or Facebooked and all that type of thing. I think they're all kind of they 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 connect. And keep up the instigation, interrogation, whatever you do there on YouTube. And, yes. the, and oh, so that's, that that's been a lot of fun. So keep those up. Uh, we're enjoying those. Yeah. And yeah. So, I, 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 I I was kind of happy with those. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a great show tonight. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, For Lawrence Gowan, for the big M, Mark Anthony, I am Michael Cadry. We'll see you next time on Blabberbrain Show. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everyone. Great meeting you. Have a good one, Lawrence.